listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to this week's edition of America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, Executive Director of Energy Makes America Great and the companion educational organization, the Citizens Alliance for Responsible Energy. Each week through this forum, I have the opportunity to interview a variety of experts and make their expertise available to you, my listeners, through interviews based on the theme of each week's column. Now, my column each week is usually based on a news story. However, this week, my topic, Get Ready to Break Wind, was inspired by our first guest, John Droz, who is a scientist that I met several years ago, many years ago probably now, John, and John has been with us before. He is the founder of an informal network of people who share a concern about the um, invasion of wind energy, particularly into local communities. And a few weeks back, John sent me an email, and it said, uh, you know, I've been in, I just came back from talking to a group in New York about how to stop uh, wind energy invasion in their community. Invasion is my word. But uh, as Annie said, here's kind of a summary of what I told them. I thought this might be helpful. So I read what he sent me, and I thought, you know, this is going to be helpful. I think people out there in general aren't aware that there are people like John and our other guests that are going to be with us today who are available to help communities that are trying to fight off a wind development. So I decided that I would write a column on this topic. Now, this I didn't think was going to be news-based, as my columns usually are. The fact of the matter is, is I was on a little girlfriend uh, trip uh, over the weekend, which is when I usually write, and I decided, well, I don't want to have to write while I'm on vacation. So I thought, I'll write this in advance. Little did I know that just that week there were going to be two major stories about wind energy development, uh, particularly in the Northeast. And in Vermont, there are two communities that have wind energy on the ballot for November 8th. So this topic turned out to be not only a convenience to me, but it turned out to be timely as well. So with that introduction, John, thanks for joining us once again as the founder of Wise Energy Decisions. Thank you, Maria. I'm always glad to be here. Now, I messed up the title of your of your informal organization, didn't I? Well, the, the technical name of our, our, our coalition, I guess you might call it, is AWED, okay. Alliance for Wise Energy Decisions. Uh, Alliance website. is the word I was missing. I knew there were four initials there. I'm sorry about that, but that gives you a little more, more airtime to talk about it. AWED. Alliance for Wise Energy Decisions, and our uh, website is wiseenergy.org. So the two things uh, have that type of an overlap. But yes, I, I'm. Uh, you know, some people will say I'm anti-wind and stuff like that here. You know, naturally the proponents say that, but that that isn't really true. My position is that we should be aggressively investigating alternative energy. Okay, we should always be trying to do better with energy sources. Absolutely. However. The question comes up is just because something's an alternative, does that mean it should get a free pass from scientific scrutiny? Well, no. My <laughs> thing, that's my answer. Uh, just because it's alternative doesn't mean it shouldn't be uh, properly evaluated. 
And that's, that's the crux of the issue right there, because uh, the proponents of things like wind, solar, and other alternatives feel that just because they are, quote-unquote, renewable or, quote-unquote, alternative, that that means that they uh, get a free pass and that automatically get put on the grid without any scrutiny, without any proof, without any verification of any of their claims, any of that kind of stuff. Well, that's what lobbyists are saying, of course, and I'm a citizen advocate. So I, as a citizen advocate, am saying that's baloney, and if anybody wants to come forward and say, hey, uh, uh, alternative energy XYZ is the best thing since sliced toast, then fine. I ask them one simple question. Show me the scientific proof that this is a net societal benefit. That's yeah, because it certainly should stand up under scrutiny if you're going to you're going to base entire the entire country's energy sure. policy on sure. these ideas you need to be able to defend it sure i mean i was just looking through new york state's uh, clean energy plan here this morning and they're talking about 50% of this stuff here and the, the stuff the main but, and that's the democratic right? party's platform as well yes yes but it's absurd i mean the claims they're making here the basis of this are completely unproven I mean, as an example, they're saying, well, one of the main reasons we're doing more wind energy is because of climate change. But yes, the fact that's, is, that's the main main, main uh, impetus for it. Okay, but there's a simple fact here. And the fact is that there is zero, I'm going to say this slowly, zero scientific proof that wind energy makes any con consequential contribution towards reducing climate change. Zero scientific proof. Zero. Scientific proof. <laughs> you have to say Zero. that one more time. <laughs> Zero scientific proof. I mean, any place in the world. So if you, for instance, speak to one of these people about this and say, well, show me the proof, I can tell you what they put forward. They come up with studies that have been done by wind energy proponents that are based on a computer model. Okay, and the computer model says, well, it's going to save a certain amount of CO2. Well, in my view, that is preposterous for two reasons. Number one, computer models can be rigged to do anything. I've written over 100,000 lines of code, and I can write a computer program that proves that pigs fly. It's easy to do. So just because some computer model comes to a conclusion doesn't prove anything. That's just based on a bunch of assumptions and things of that nature that nobody ever knows what they are and comes to that conclusion. The second fact is that no computer model should be appropriate when we actually have hard empirical data. The computer models are something where we don't have data. But the fact is, with wind energy, there's something like 100,000 turbines spinning away around the world, so there is actual data about how much CO2 is saved. Real data. Okay, and so what does the data tell us? Well, the fact is, they've hidden the data because they call it proprietary. That's, huh? the, that's the hitch. They don't want to show us the data, so they're not... Exposing the data. So you draw your Unbelievable. own Unbelievable. Well, I'm saying that's what it is. So the fact is that if, in my opinion, I'm just, I don't have to keep saying my opinion, but you understand that. But if, if they had proof, I mean, this is empirical, actual proof, that wind energy was saving uh, measurable, consequential amounts of CO2, they'd be trumpeting it all over the place. Certainly. It would be big headline news. Well, certainly. But the fact that they're hiding behind that this is proprietary, I don't know, proprietary from whom? 
I mean, you know what? Iberdrola is worried about Invenergy or something, uh, stealing some idea. Give me a break. These people are all in cahoots here. So this is another charade to say, you know, proprietary. But proprietary from who? Who's stealing their ideas? Or what's that going to have to do with anything? That is just absurd. Furthermore, all this stuff is based on public money to a large degree, like the, you know, uh, PTC and stuff like that. So why wouldn't this be a matter of public record here, since the public is largely funding this? But more importantly, in my view, is this is a, a fault of our legislators. For instance, in uh, New York, where they're mandating 50% here, uh, since since they're pushing wind energy down the throats of citizens here, it would certainly, and then making claims about it, it would certainly seem reasonable that they would require that wind energy, the beneficiary of this, you know, plan, produce factual public results so that they can monitor the success of this, you know, highfalutin-sounding plan. But no, there's nothing in it whatsoever that makes wind energy developers obligated to produce these type of uh, information results. Nothing. The whole thing is embarrassingly bad. So this you know, is sort of my role here is to try to educate citizens about these type of realities because a lot of times citizens assume, well, like, you know, New York State wouldn't be mandating this on us unless they had really good scientific grounds for doing so, right? Well, no, wrong. So yes. Well, you know, we've only got, John, we've only got a few minutes left and how time flies when we're having fun here. But I want to make sure we get to a little bit more specifically. You've given us great background. But I want to talk about what you specifically do, such as the email I mentioned that you sent me. I just came back from, from New York helping groups. And, and, and the tool that you recommend as a model wind law. And we've only got, we've got about uh, three minutes to cover all that. Okay, fine. So basically the question is what do citizens do, communities do, when they have this type of threat? My view is that, you know, it depends on every state has its own little peculiarities, but by and large the best tactic that you need to do is pass a, uh, a carefully crafted wind ordinance. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means one that's based on science, it's based on legal precedent, stuff like that. So you don't just throw out stuff. And then what, what should it cover? Well, I'm talking about a regulatory ordinance here. A re regulatory ordinance has been studied. There are numerous things that could be considered, but uh, we boiled it down, and this is all on our website here, by the way, wiseenergy.org. And I have a link it. to that in my column as well, and specifically yeah. to the page that has Thank your you. law. Thank you. So the, the law, our recommended model law, is really based on regulating five different matters, five different issues. First is property value guarantee, you know, to protect nearby properties. Second is a setback, an adequate setback. We advocate at least a mile setback from turbines to property lines, not to houses, to property lines. Third and that's a, big di that's a big difference, that yeah. house to property line, but we'll talk a little bit more about that with our next guest. Yes, so that's important because otherwise if it's to a house, you're effectively there's a taking of the property that's between the house and the line because that becomes unusable land. So it's to somebody else's property. <clears throat> the third thing is noise limits, again, at property lines, and that would be 35 dBA, 24-7, 365. The fourth would be proper uh, um, environmental tests, and the last would be decommissioning terms and conditions. So if those five things are properly addressed, not just addressed, but properly addressed, 
This is the best and first line of defense that any community has against this. In fact, my, my experience, I've dealt with over 100 communities. There is no community that has ever passed a quality uh, wind law where the developer has not left. Where the developer has not left. So what you're saying is once they pass this law, the developers that come into the community and try to put in an industrial wind uh, development, they realize they can't, they can't right. stand up against that? Right, yes. At least that's been my experience. That's right. I don't know a single case where a developer has stayed once wow. they've had a proper law. So, but some people confuse that and say, well, in other words, the law is all about excluding the developer. No, no, that doesn't say. So, for instance, in New York State, the state constitution says that local legislators have an obligation to protect the health, safety, and welfare of citizens. And I believe there's similar words in other state constitutions as well. So that's the focus of the law. Have a local wind law that protects the health, safety, and welfare of citizens. And that's what those five elements would do. So if a developer can come in and say yes. We're down to about 20 seconds, John. Okay, if a developer comes in and says, yes, I can comply with protecting the health, safety, and welfare of citizens and meet all these things, well, then fine, we'll go along with it. But I'm just saying I'm not aware of any case where that's happened. So great. I encourage our listeners that are facing this to contact John Rose through wiseenergy.org. As we said, there's a link to this, this model wind energy law on his website. And, John, thanks for joining us once again to talk about this important subject. We also have a monthly newsletter that people can subscribe to, too, this free. And there's a link for that on your website, I assume. Yes. yes. Great. Thanks so much, John Rose. Stay tuned. Thanks. We'll be right back on America's Voice for Energy. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. 
Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, and this segment we're going to be talking with Kevin Martis, and he is the director, a volunteer director, mind you, of the Interstate Informed Citizens Coalition. Kevin is based in Michigan, which is an area right now, uh, along with New York, as John Droz, our former guest, talked about, uh, is a very active in the wind energy uh, battle. Tell us about that, Kevin, and welcome, by the way. Oh, well, thanks, Marita. I'm glad to be with you. Yeah, well, you know, like most states right now, particularly in the wake of the Obama Clean Power Plan that we're still waiting for a, uh, a, a final ruling on from the Supreme Court, um, energy policy in states all across the nation is being turned on its head, but particularly in coal-heavy states like uh, Michigan and Ohio uh, here in the Midwest, because coal has been a, a huge part of our energy mix for a long time. So in this latest round of uh, energy bills that are coming out of the Michigan legislature, for instance, they are now pushing a 15% renewable energy mandate up from 10% in Michigan. And so as a result, that creates a ton of development pressure in the state of Michigan for more wind projects, coupled with the fact that the production tax credit is uh, going to take a 20% drop at the end of this year. The race to get uh, iron in the ground, if you will, is extreme. I've never seen wind developers uh, exhibit such aggressive behavior and so many of them at the same time. It's really become the wild Midwest of wind at this point. It's amazing. I, I didn't realize that... Uh, um the production tax credit being reduced would have that kind of result. Why is that? Well, several wind developers, including the CEO of Invenergy uh, from memory, has said that, look, the 20% drop in the production tax credit might as well be a drop to zero because uh, energy markets are very competitive right now. We know that gas-fired generators are now uh, producing very cheap electricity that's far more reliable and of much higher quality than intermittent wind. And so... The, uh, the rush is to grab the PTC while it's still there. Um, and we know that when the production tax credit expires, as it has several times in the past, uh, the wind development nationwide drops by 80 to 90%, which tells me this isn't really an industry. This is just a money transfer scheme. Yeah, and, and my recollection is that, um, what was it, in 2012 they changed the production tax credit from you had to have your your wind uh, industrial wind turbine had to be producing wind by the close of the production tax credit. To you had to start construction by the close. Am I remembering correctly? Yeah, I don't know, remember the timeline precisely, but your facts are correct. That the, the wind projects now. Um, there, there was a, a, a period of time where the Obama stimulus package had a Section 1603 grant, where they would basically gift to the developers uh, 30% of the construction cost of the wind projects right out of the federal treasury. And to qualify for that, you had to have uh, commenced construction to qualify for that uh, absolute paycheck uh, um, uh, 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 subsidy. Wow. And, and so the, um, but the other way you could qualify was a 5% safe harbor clause that if you had spent 5% of the price of the turbine project in basically irrevocable contracts, you didn't even have to start digging holes in the ground to qualify. Well, when the PTC came back, they decided they would then use those same rules that were being used for the Section 1603 grants for the production tax credit, and that's how we got to where we are on that issue. So what what is happening? You uh, one of the things I've quoted I've quoted you. I've done several radio interviews this week myself as the guest. 
uh, as the so-called expert, because I wrote the column, on this topic, and I've quoted you several times in what you said about the, the worst thing, I believe, and I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing you, but the worst thing for a wind developer is when there's a wind development in the neighboring community, because then the community they're trying to go into now can't be led down, as you called it, the primrose path. Can you explain that a little for our listeners? Well, certainly. I mean, my background in this, Marita, is that I started as a little local planning commission uh, member here in southeast Michigan in a little township of 1,100 people, and the wind developers came to our community and started asking us to revise our zoning, not just for one or two parcels, mind you, but for the entire township, 36 square miles. I mean, no other developer comes in and asks for the, the rezoning of entire townships or even counties at a time. But as I listened to the claims of the developers, it started to sound as if, heck, we wouldn't even notice these devices were in our, in our community at all. And then we went and visited some of these wind projects. Now, in 2008, when this was happening, there were really not many wind turbines spinning in Michigan. And so we had to drive quite a long ways, about three hours, to see them. And they were the 390-foot class turbines at that time to the tip of the rotor. And now, of course, they've stretched to 600 feet. All this to say is that the... Um, you know, it's one thing to be to hear the stories only from the wind developer and their agents about how benign these projects are with respect to uh, impacts on your quality of life and noise and, and, and all these various ill effects that are associated with this pervasive land development. But once you go and exhibit it, experience it, and once you see... Uh, you know, for instance, Huron County now has 380 turbines. You can't go anywhere in the county, it seems, and get away from the flashing red lights at night. And, and, and so now there's a track record. We can talk to people in those communities, including people who signed leases with the developer and are hosting turbines on their property, and those people are now showing a lot of regret, saying this was a big mistake. If I'd known then what I know now, I would never sign up for this. So when you go to a township next door to where there's a turbine project operating, those people are upset enough that they will drive over to the next township and say, hey, be careful before you let these guys in because it's not what we were led to believe. So uh, how are they responding to this? How are the developers that, as you said, are trying to get, get, take advantage of this wealth transfer, uh, how are they responding to this? Well, as, as they see more pushback in the rural communities like they are in Michigan, one of the things they do is run off to the state legislature and say, we want to take away local communities' right to regulate land use policy in their own communities. We want state-level control, which would basically be the state putting a gun to the head of local communities and say, you'll take these turbines on our term and like it. Um, that, so the other the other activity that we see wind developers do, and they've ramped this up as well, is in Michigan where local townships and counties make decisions on, on land use policy like utility-scale wind development. Um, they will go in quietly and sign leases with those people in advance and get them conflicted. Um, and, and so basically these people are now on the payroll of the wind company, and they sit at the table deliberating with them and create uh, zoning regulations that benefit them financially. We see that happening a lot. Next Era, one of the the biggest wind developers in the country, um, is particularly aggressive with this. They have nine out of thirteen elected and appointed officials in one township, all with Next Era wind leases, and they all sat there and created very permissive zoning for them. The third activity that we're seeing a lot more of from these guys, as the production tax credit uh, looks like it's going to start to ramp down, though of course this election could change things, as your column points right. out. 
uh, is that they're becoming more litigious. We see them bullying these small townships. You'll have a township really? with an annual budget of $150,000, and they'll come in with uh, three and $400 an hour attorneys from Chicago or Detroit or from the East Coast coming in saying, you're going to give us our way uh, and let this project go forward or we're going to sue you. And and if wow. you don't have the resources to have a very solid attorney on your side who knows municipal law and knows that, in fact, those statements are just a bluff, um, they will often roll over just out of fear. I mean, most of these townships have almost no substantial development of any kind, commercial, retail, industrial, very little. Some of them have only seven or 800 people in them. So when a Fortune 500 company and their, and their fast-talking salespeople and their high-priced lawyers walk in, it's a sharply unlevel playing field, and they work that to their advantage. So what can people do? I mean, this sounds, sounds scary and overwhelming. The first thing people can do, if, they want, if, they want, if you want to know whether or not your community is being considered for a wind project, the first place that information ever breaks is on the FAA website that the government maintains. And so if you, it's the Federal Aviation Administration. They, because these are tall structures, they uh, have to record and request permission to build these structures and make sure there's no interference with aviation airspace. So you can go to their website and just search by state and see where turbine projects are considered. As soon as you know that a project like that is being considered for your, for your area, the wind developers count on subterfuge and stealth. The sooner you can inform your neighbors of what's being proposed and the sooner you can develop a positive working relationship with the, the policymakers in your community, the better chance you have of saying, wait a minute, what these wind developers propose for our community is something we would reject if any other type of developer came in and asked for these kinds of permissions in our land use policy, and um, we want to be protected. We want to make sure that we're not losing quality of life across 30, 40, 50 square miles at a whack without a fair chance at, at giving our consent and receiving compensation for our loss of amenity of home. Now, you've led into exactly where I wanted to go, and we've got just about three minutes left, Kevin. Time goes by so quickly. I want you to talk about your trespass zoning, because John Droz and I talked about in the, that in the former segment, about the importance of having the, the um, oh, you know what it's called, the siting being from the property line rather than the dwelling. Right. Explain that. Sure. Wind developers do what no other developer asks for in a zoning context. They come in and say, look, the industry standard is to measure the setback distance, which is the distance between your property and the turbine, not from your property line, but from the foundation of your home. They also want the right to measure the noise limits at your home and not the property line, even if you haven't leased your property to that developer. So what they talk the zoning authorities into granting is basically an easement across a private property that extends kind of in a semicircle, if you can imagine a circle around this turbine base, up to your bedroom window. And so between you and your property line now is, is an easement that's uncompensated, that it was you did not give your consent for it. It was thrust upon your property by the zoning authority on the behalf of the wind developer. I say that this is trespass zoning. They basically granted to that wind developer the right to trespass upon your property with noise, shadow flicker, and visual blight from five and now 600-foot-tall turbines uh, without consent, without compensation, and against your will. 
And to me, that flies in the basic premise of land use policy, as the environmentalists have been big proponents of using land use policy for just this issue. It flies in the face of separating conflicting uses of property from one parcel to the other. And so that's that's the most objectionable thing that I see that the wind developers do. It's trespass zoning. They've granted to your neighbor, the farmer, the and not just to the neighbor, but to the neighbor's tenant, the right to trespass upon your property with the nuisance aspects of their land use all the way up to your bedroom window rather than at the property line. And that's just fundamentally unjust. And it takes away your enjoyment of your property. You can't have a, right. like a picnic in your backyard and enjoy it without the nuisance of these turbines and the noise and et cetera uh, impacting your enjoyment of your property. That's exactly right. And you can't even go on your farm parcel that you own that you did not lease and build another house for your daughter who wants to take over the family farm because it's now inside that setback zone that your neighbor's tenant is now, you know, depriving you of future development rights. That's just wrong. Oh, we hadn't talked about that. That's an interesting angle. We've only got 30 seconds left, however. Eminent domain would be a more reasonable approach, as much as I don't like eminent domain, because at least you are com- they are compelled to compensate you for the, the value they're taking from your property. Wind developers aren't even that noble. Okay, Kevin, in 20 seconds, how can people get a hold of you, and are you available to help communities? Yes, I educate communities and policymakers. I'd be glad to help. You can reach out to us at www.iiccusa.org. I can hope uh, this information is real helpful for our listeners. All right. Thanks, Marita. We'll be right back. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby, the first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind, Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. We've got a great show for you today, as you've already heard from our first two guests. And now we're going to talk with Mary Kay Barton, who is a citizen activist from Western New York State, who's been involved in, in energy issues, uh, specifically wind energy, for a number of years now. Mary Kay, it's great to have you back on the show. And tell us, how did you get involved in this topic of wind energy? Hi, Marita. Thanks for having me. Sure enough. Um, well, it was 
my husband and I moved to Wyoming County in western New York State back in late 1999 because it was absolutely beautiful here. Uh, it is. I've been, I've been there to your residence and, and been on the, enjoyed that, and it is absolutely beautiful where I was shocked at how uh, magnificent it is in that area. In fact, I can't wait to take my husband there for a vacation. Well, I hope you stop by and visit us if you do. But, uh, yeah, we're, you know, just a few miles down the road from uh, Letchworth State Park. It was just voted the best state park in the nation in a poll that USA Today held. And if people Google Letchworth State Park and look at the pictures, they'll understand why. It's it's just one of God's magnificent creations. But It is. I, I had the opportunity to see that as well while I was in the area, and it is. It is, it is magnificent. So when you see the be- natural beauty of the area, and then uh, we had just moved here, opened a small business, um, and we found out shortly after we opened the business, it was a, a small marina on a little lake here just outside Letchworth, that they were planning on surrounding the entire there was going to be over 2,000 industrial wind turbines strewn throughout the 16 towns in Wyoming County. And I said, when I found that out, like hell they are, and I've been involved. (laughs) Um, And the more you research into it, I mean, if you would have, my degree is in health science. I was a health teacher. Um, You know, I've always been concerned about the environment, uh, I always gardened organically. I, I went and got certified as a Cornell certified master gardener, you know, and had my backyard registered as a national wildlife refuge. And wow, you know, this, this was this is so against what a true environmentalist believes that these things. There, we limited because of the outrage of citizens. In the area, we were able to limit uh, how many the destruction to only 308 turbines, as opposed to the original 2,000 plus. Thank goodness, but still, it's 308 too many. And uh, I've been to Albany. I've been to Washington D.C. for meetings. Uh, I'm in, uh, passionate about this because it is so wrong. Um, the only reason that industrial wind even exists is because of the massive uh, cronyism at the top creating the uh, legislation to uh, add the bottom line to these corporations. Yeah, uh, and that's really clear. That's really clear, clear when you look at what happens to wind energy development at the time, the, at the times, plural, that when wind production tax credit, the PTC, has uh, been taken away, wind energy development virtually stops. Isn't that correct? Yes, it is. And, and it, it's, uh, it's been extended seven times. And make no mistake, this is a, a bipartisan cronyism. There's just as many Republicans pushing this garbage as there is Democrats. But the fact of the matter is, if Hillary Clinton gets in there, she's all for this stuff. Um, she yeah. promised 
she promised, while well, she was a senator here in New York State, she promised to create 200,000 jobs in, in upstate New York. And, and, in fact, jobs declined over her tenure here. And that's, they claim that about all these green, there'll be green jobs. Well, there's no jobs here. There's 308 turbines over in, in the five towns on the west side of the Warsaw Valley. There's no jobs over there. The only jobs that are created are by the, the out-of-town uh, repair guys that are always there because the things are always breaking down. They're giant pieces of junk. In New York State, the I think it's 20 wind factories installed in New York State today. They're operating at an average of 24% capacity, actual output. I mean, they're not replacing anything. They're a redundant thing, and so you still have to have your reliable, dispatchable, conventional generation sources, which is typically natural gas. So all the people that like to fight against natural gas and argue for wind, they don't even get the fact that when they do that, they're arguing for more gas. Because, well, that, you know, Mary Kay, you and I understand this, but maybe all our listeners don't understand. So what do you mean when you say that they're, the wind turbines are redundant, that, that wind turbines actually require natural gas? Can you explain that? Um, industrial wind is—it's very—it's not reliable. It's—it's it's a very volatile. Any power generated by wind—it look—if it, you were to look at it, uh, you know, as as it's being provided to the grid, it looks like a Geiger counter. It's all over the map. Um, so it 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 can't stand alone. It's by itself on the grid. It. It has to have a dance partner, so to speak, to cover for its way to pay it. Yeah, it, it, so, you know, as wind is it, jumping up and down all over the place, it, natural gas is the natural stand-in because gas is easy to ramp up and down, whereas, you know, like coal and nuclear isn't as easy to ramp up and down. Right, they the need grid. to run at a constant... Yeah, but for people to really understand this, I, one of the books that I recommend to everybody, because I didn't understand this stuff either when I first got involved, but uh, Robert Bryce has written a couple of excellent books. Um, the one, his first that I recommend to people is called Power Hungry, The Myths of Green Energy and the Real Fuel, Fuels of the Future. And then he has another one called Smaller, Denser, Faster, Cheaper. I, You know... When you think about technology today, and he explains this, that, uh, you know, everything is getting smaller. I mean, look at your, your you have a computer in your hand in your, in your phone. And I had to laugh when Obama just made the comment, I think it was just yesterday, he laughed and joked and said, oh, yeah, what are we supposed to still stick by rotary dial phones? Well, that's what you're doing when you think we're going to... Wind power is something from the 1800s that went away when we came up with reliable sources. You know, it's yeah, and somehow we're trying to bring it back now. Yeah, it's just like some, and and they're all, the only reason it's here is because they enable it to exist, 
by continuing to subsidize it. You know, it's no different than what he claims about the rotary dial phones. It would be no different. Should we subsidize rotary dial phones to keep them going? But yet we're doing that with wind turbines. Exactly. There's no scientific proof that wind energy is a net societal benefit. And, in fact, there's much proof that uh, sprawling, unreliable industrial wind factories have been vastly detrimental across the nation and the world, not, not only environmentally but economically and civilly. I mean, the towns here, every town that was... Uh, and it's interesting how, you know, it wasn't just one wind corporation that landed in Wyoming County. There was different wind corporations, and they all neatly landed in, in the different towns. You can see the collusion that had to have been involved. And uh, it, it's just mind-numbing. They would go around. Their wind salesmen would go around and, and get people, the large landowners to sign leases before anybody else in the town even knew what was going on. And so there's been lawsuits that the town just end up totally divided. You have family members that won't speak to one another anymore. It's horrible. You know, the job of good government is supposed to be able to foresee and prevent such divisive issues from happening, not to encourage it like our government is doing today. Yeah, and what's happened more specifically in New York with your your government today, uh, with home rule and so forth? Well, it's, it's it's very interesting because so many towns were having. They, they first hit the area in in New York in 2000, and they came in and and with a project in Weathersfield, which was ten much smaller turbines that are less than half the size of what they're proposing now and and uh, actually about a third of the size of what they're proposing now. And so we call them the bait-and-switch turbines. You know, they put them there for a few years, get everybody used to it. Oh, look, see, these aren't so bad. And then when they come in with the actual project, it's, uh, it's disastrous. They're huge. They're all over the place you know, just hundreds of feet from people's homes. The properties, uh, Orangeville was the most, most re- recent project put in. It's a 58-turbine project. They're 430 feet tall. Um, properties up there in Orangeville are selling for over 20% below their assessed values. Many of them aren't selling at all and end up having to go to auction. Now, but at least when... The rest of the towns in Wyoming County saw the mess in the five towns that did go with a wind project. They're like, whoa, I guess we don't really want to do that. And so many towns said no. Well, Governor Cuomo's got this push on for, you know, he wants 50% from renewables, and they don't count nuclear or hydro. So, you know, he thinks he's going to cover the state with these things. So in 2011 because so many towns were saying no successfully, he came in with his Power New York Act. I call it the Power Grab New York Act because it removed home rule from our towns and put it in the hands of five unelected Albany bureaucrats. They will make the final decision. Now you have some big foreign corporations uh, like Iberdrola, big Spanish 
owned utility. Uh, they're threatening up along in the Thousand Islands area. I mean, I'm sure there's many people across America who have vacationed there. Can you, why, and the turbines they're proposing now are six to 700 feet tall. Mary Kay, we're down to about 20 seconds left. Uh, well, anyway, the Governor Cuomo stole home rule from New York State, and it's now in, in their control. So uh, Save Ontario Shores is another project. They're trying to put them all along Lake Ontario. That's another project that's in the offing, and it's all up to these five Albany bureaucrats. I just ask people, please read up on this stuff and get laws on the books to protect yourselves before it's too late. Yeah, Mary Kay Barton from uh, Western New York State, thanks so much for sharing your personal experience with us, and uh, we hope that this show will be a great resource for people facing these issues in their own community. Please stay with us on America's Voice for Energy, and we'll be right back. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to our closing segment of America's Voice for Energy. We've had a great discussion today talking about wind turbines and uh, their, their potential in this election, their importance in this election. And in our last segment today, we're going to talk with Christy Rosenquist, who is a citizen activist from Minnesota. So, uh, Christy, I appreciate you joining us once again. You've given me over the years great insight on the wind energy issue because, as I said in my column, I'm not the expert on this stuff. I don't live in a location that's surrounded by wind turbines. But all of you that we've talked to today on the show and who I mentioned in the column, you all are facing this day in and day out. That's right. So in Minnesota, unlike New York State or Michigan or Missouri, Minnesota removed local land zoning authority from counties for siting wind projects. And the state issues the site permits, um, leaving the counties and townships with very little very, very little control over where wind projects might go and how they're sited in your local area. Nonetheless, the wind developers 
here, like they do in all other states, claim that we're very popular. Most people love renewables, especially wind energy, and they can't wait for us to put in the turbines and come back and put in more. But in the project, the AWA Goodhue project, which was a project that um, citizens in my area, including me, fought tooth and nail, it was a project owned by a billionaire Texan billionaire T. Boone Pickens. Um, they, when we finally got some discovery in front of an administrative law judge, they asked the question, how many landowners in the area did you talk to about hosting turbines, and what was the result of that? And it turns out that before the project was even well-known, and before it was controversial at all, because most people didn't even know that there was a project coming our way, it turns Yeah, and let me just mention... Let me just mention there, Christy, Kevin Martis pointed out in our second segment for folks that the best way to find out if something's coming to your community is the FAA website because he pointed out kind of what you're saying is that people aren't aware of this is coming. They kind of come in through uh, a back door and reach out to individuals before the community knows what's happening. That's correct. Um, they call it prospecting, and they go from door to door, and I will say what we found is they lie to people in multiple ways, and they also, uh, it's like your neighbor, rural neighborhood is being stalked. They'll stalk rural elderly people and sort of browbeat them until they sign a contract. It's, huh. it's hideous. I mean, it's horrible. They, they, they tell you that your neighbors have already signed contracts. It's usually a lie. Um, there's all sorts of strategies there. But anyway... They're out prospecting around. They don't want you to talk to your neighbors. They'll say, you know, you can't tell them what we told you. So there's all sorts of secrecy surrounding it. But back to the point of popularity, it turns out in the AWA Goodhue project that they that seven out of eight landowners that they talked to, that they offered wind turbine contracts to, where you would be paid a percentage of the production revenue for hosting a, a turbine, seven out of eight told them no. And this was before the project was even known about, before it was, uh, you know, being fought by... Before strong opposition was mounted. Oh, yeah, before there was even an organized opposition. So here we don't really have a chance to put it on a local ballot because the state has removed that control. But it was clearly wildly unpopular. And in states where they have been able to have referendum votes in townships and counties, like in Michigan... It's lost every time. Wind loses. If you put it to vote, the local people will not vote for it. So this idea and so the turbine, the turbine companies then don't want votes. They, they want to discourage a, a vote. Oh, heavens, yeah. They don't want to vote. And it's a, it's a really uh, David and Goliath fight, too, because they will come in, as they did in some, a couple of Missouri town, uh, counties in the last year. Next era was there. And they would repeatedly show up at the county board meetings with four or five high-priced attorneys, which, unless you've got a township board or a county board with significant backbone, that can be very intimidating. Yeah, because these guys know what they're talking about, and they're, they're very high pressure. They're very high pressure. They threaten to sue townships, counties. Really? Um, landowners. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, this is not the this is not the picture that the ads portray of wind energy. Oh heavens, no! The ads are it's all sunshine and it's lovely. Everybody loves wind energy. Nobody could possibly be against it. And the really funny thing is, 
when local, well-educated people speak out against wind energy, they're frequently um, called, there's a frequent uh, assertion that they're being funded by the Koch brothers, which is just hilarious. Um, you know, if the Koch brothers were funding us, then we wouldn't have to have local bake sales or, um, you know, here we had corn drives and soybean drives. If the prices were really high when we were fighting, that's how we funded our fight, is, you know, commodity donations. Um, so the idea that the Koch brothers are funding any of the local grassroots opposition is completely laughable. Crazy. Yeah, I'm with you. I wish I could get my hands on some Koch brothers funding. Oh, yeah, we said, great, we're all in. We haven't seen any of it. So, you know, but, but feel free to shower us with it. Oh, yeah, feel free to step in because, man, we'd love some. Um, all of the fight, all of the pushback is local people. So, like other states in Minnesota, we've got significant health problems in existing projects. Um, one that's been in the forefront in the last year here in my state is the Bent Tree Wind Project. It's in southern Minnesota. And numerous residents there are sick. Three households have been trying to get the state of Minnesota to do their job by protecting human health. Um, like all Minnesota wind projects, the state of Minnesota issued a site permit to the developer, which in this case was Alliant Energy. And the basis for the distance that they could put a turbine to your house is an audible noise standard that wasn't written for turbines and can't be accurately measured outdoors in high winds, which is how they do the measurement. So they have a non-applicable standard that can't be measured, and that's how they decide if they're fulfilling their permit. And so let so, me back up. You said you said people with this bent tree wind project, there's a lot of people that are sick. So this project is up and running and functional? Oh, yes. It's been running. And what, are the, what kind of sickness do they have? Um, everyone reports inability to sleep, sleeplessness, where you're repeatedly awakened um, all night long. And... Um, several of the people have uh, tinnitus, which is ringing in the ears. One of them previously had tinnitus, and it's worse than it was. Um, other people who never had tinnitus have tinnitus. Um, one of the people who had perfect hearing now has permanent hearing loss. Um, it's been operating since 2010, so they've been five and a half years, almost six years at this point. And um, others are having vertigo, um, headaches. Um, one of the people, one of the children in one of the households, um, it's a family where the parents are divorced, so he spends part of the time with mom and part of the time with dad. When he sleeps at the wind project, he has to wear a mouth guard to keep him from grinding his teeth. He doesn't need that when he's with dad because there's no turbines near dad's house. So there's this whole variety of problems. They're the same health problems reported in every state, every country. The, the, the proximity of turbines to a home and their operation causes exactly these symptoms everywhere. And in the state of Minnesota, the state has known this because the Minnesota Department of Health put out a white paper in 2009. It's cited all over the world. It was not an original study, but it was a review of, of what was known at that time. And they said some people are adversely affected in their health. Uh, they pointed to low-frequency noise in homes. So Minnesota now, after being pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, decided to do, quote-unquote, a health study of low-frequency infrasound from turbines. They put aside $620,000 for a noise study, theoretically, to look at wind turbine noise, but they are not 
studying any in-home. There's no in-home study, none. They aren't studying any health of people who know they're already affected by existing projects. And so having talked to people about this study uh, and whether it would yield anything, it seems unlikely. I mean, it might be an interesting academic exercise, but it seems to me like if you have identified the problem and you've identified $620,000 available, you should study the available problem. Uh, yeah, what a concept. Yeah, that, what a stunning concept. So when we go back to the state of Minnesota over and over again, they say, well, we think it's a really important issue, but we don't have enough money to study it. And yet they just squandered $620,000. I think you could have a heck of a study for $620,000 if your desire was to actually figure out what's going on in the state of Minnesota. So, you know, the sleeplessness in Bent Tree, just as an example, one of the families is the Hagans. It's a, a retired couple. Bernie Hagan is a Vietnam-era vet. Uh, veteran and his Veterans Administration doctor told the state of Minnesota before the project was built in writing that they should not allow any turbines within a half mile of his house because they knew it would have an adverse health effect. This is a doctor's written statement, which the state of Minnesota duly ignored. There are three within a half a mile, and there are 19 turbines within one mile of his house. So his health has gone downhill. His wife, who had perfect health, now has permanent hearing damage. And it's correlated with the operation of the turbines. When they can't sleep, and I mean, this is a retired couple. They get in their car at 3 a.m. and drive to a local truck stop and sleep in their car. What does that tell you if you can sleep better in your car at a truck stop than in your home with turbines running? That's scary. We only have a couple. We only have a couple minutes left, Christy. I want to get to election issues because that was a big part of the thrust of my column. Is uh, under President Hillary Clinton, we're going to see this in more and more communities. What's going on in your local community, election-wise? Well, what we're seeing on the congressional races in Minnesota is um, the talking points from Democratic candidates, including Angie Craig, who's running for Congress against Jason Lewis. In my district, because we have an open house seat, Congressman John Klein is retiring. And she, and also the congressman south of us who's running for re-election, it's the consistent statement that they're having is that we need to make renewable energy a priority at the federal level in order to combat climate change. So the crazy thing about that is, first of all, I don't know how you could possibly make wind energy or renewables more of a priority. They've already squandered over $200 billion of federal taxpayer money on wind and an astonishing amount, I don't know how much, on solar. Right. And it's mandated in many states like Minnesota. So it's mandated, it's funded, um, and in addition, wind is exempt from federal regulations, many of them, and in the state of Minnesota it's exempted from virtually every electric generator law that exists on our books. So you've mandated them, you've exempted them from all laws, and you're throwing billions, hundreds of billions of dollars at them. How could it be more of a priority? In yeah. addition, we have the federal um, EPA's Clean Power Plan implementation. So there's 23 states that are fighting against that, not wanting to implement it because they find it unconstitutional. Minnesota is not one of those 23 states, unfortunately. They're all on board. Woohoo! We're going to implement the Clean Power Plan. And this would close coal plants, 
and require more wind and more solar than we already have. And yeah. so when the Pollution Control Agency, which is the implementing agency in my state for the Clean Power Plan, had public hearings, I went to the public hearings, and I said, if the EPA's Clean Power Plan is implemented in the entire country exactly as envisioned by the EPA, how much temperature increase would be avoided? And their answer was none. The EPA does not even claim that. Yeah. Christy, we're going to have to end it there. We're going to have to end it there. We're out of time. I appreciate your insights. We've had a great show today, important topic, and I hope that our listeners will tell their friends so they can listen to it every week uh, on AmericasWebRadio.com. Uh, Thanks for listening. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.